0: Into our house, enter thou not. Through our fence, break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life, you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles.
1: I'm Dan. You're Lindsay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nailed here. it. Nailed it. <laughs> I'm very excited for today's uh, stories. Um, I just have one quick announcement before we get into the previews and I think you have one announcement too
1: I would like you to not do any announcements
0: not do Not do it at no, all no thank you <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyway I have a, a very cool new planchette design now available in the store <laughs> simple two color design featuring a bejeweled skull planchette and our classic scared to death logo and a book of ghosts icon I was checking it out this morning I really like it you can choose between a tee and a baseball tee Uh, You can also check out the latest releases like uh, New Protection Ritual Collection, Melting Face Collection, New Stickers, and more. All at badmagicmerch.com.
1: Wow, you did that fast. I did. Okay, Well, that's good because I have a couple things to say. Okay. Okay, one finally have our charity amounts it's been so fun to record ahead mm-hmm. uh, but we realize that it's a little bit tricky to give the charity amounts so sorry for the delay in that but it really helps us stay yeah. on production and make sure we never miss an episode so thanks for bearing with us as we work to you know improve in that way as a reminder this month we're donating to the DNA Doe Project a nonprofit with one humanitarian mission which is to identify John and Jane Doe's using investigative genetic genealogy Whew, tongue twister mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 just a great way to be able to give some healing to those who have suffered such significant losses in their lives. The donation amount this month to the DNA Doe Project will be $13,988 with $1,554 being set aside for the 2024 scholarship Uh, applicants and eventual recipients. And a note on that, uh, you will find out in June, if you applied for the scholarship, it'll be really fun to give a great update. Uh, I have so many fun things to share with you guys about that. So you will hear from Scholarship America one way or the other. So just hang tight. Those are my announcements. And then I have unrelated things to say. Okay. Okay. One kind of relate. Well, they're both kind of related. One, This past weekend, I went to Bozeman, Mm -hmm. and on my flight from Salt Lake City to Bozeman, the cutest ever mom sat behind me with literally the cutest baby. Her name was Lonnie, and I wanted to eat her face. She was so (laughs) delicious. We're like chatting, chatting. We're chatting kids. Mm -hmm. We're chatting family, whatever. And then, you know, like, this is her first baby, and then I have kids. Oh, what are your kids' names? Kyler and Monroe. She about falls out of her seat. She goes, I knew I knew your voice. So we get chatting. Turns out she's a fan. We've read one of her stories on oh, cool. the show before. So fun. Such a cool moment. I had one of my best friends with me. And she's like, oh my God, that was so cool. And <laughs> so I have two things to say about that. One, dear sweet fan, I cannot remember your name to save my life. I was on my way to surprise one of my best friends. And in the chaos, I forgot to write your name down, but I do remember that you said you were not on social media. So I'd like to email you the photos that we took. If you could shoot me an email, that would be great. And then a second thing that was so funny about this little like connection. So I was going to see my sister-in-law slash best bud, Emily. Emily owns a juice, uh, a juicery in Bozeman, Uh, special custom orders and cleanses, home delivery, no storefront. So this fan, she's like, oh, like, what are you going to Bozeman for? And I explained that. And she's like, are you talking about nourishment? Like Emily at nourishment? I'm like, yeah. Uh, she was carrying a nourishment bag with oh, her. Fun. It was so cute. So if you're in the Bozeman area and you're looking for great, beautiful, organic, fresh pressed juice to cure all the things that ail you, go check out nourishment, like M-I-N-T, nourishment wellness or nourishment juice. You can find her on Instagram. And the last thing that we can discuss at the end of this show yeah. is that we have something in our attic.
0: Okay. We'll, we'll talk about that soon. Okay. Uh, What listener story or stories do you have today as you show your socks?
1: My socks that are in Lakers colors because I'm so excited that they won. And I hate Draymond (laughs) Green with a passion that is so unbelievably real. Uh, I have three stories. However, my first two are from the same person. So won't feel as broken up. They're not related, but they're both awesome. We are headed off to Vermont's Battleboro Retreat. Mm -hmm. And then from there to Hamilton Falls all up in Vermont. And then my second story is a new twist on the hat man.
0: Okay. hmm I, um, and, and did you show your, you showed your socks already? Yeah, I was just okay. hanging out like this. It's okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> for my first of two stories, we'll be heading to an abandoned and allegedly haunted asylum in New York state, Letchworth village, some history. First mentions of the types of sightings claimed to have occurred there. And then a super creepy modern encounter claim. And then next we'll explore some near death experience cases. Uh, not everyone claims to see a white light when they die. Some people have claimed to have literally gone to hell. And, oh, yep, been given a little taste of what some people believe awaits much of humanity in the afterlife.
1: Okay, I don't. Um, I don't feel like that's uh, an angle I've heard before.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, we haven't shared any uh, stories like that here before. Okay,
1: that's great.
0: So decent amount of history for this first one. Before we get into the paranormal claims.
1: Okay, great. Let's do it, Dan.
0: Uh, the Letchworth Village Asylum was established in 1911 as a, quote, state institution for the segregation of the epileptic and feeble-minded. Letchworth Village was located in the hamlet of Thiels, New York, a census-designated place of about 5,000 people on the outer northern edge of the New York City and Newark, New Jersey metro area. Letchworth was a residential institution. Excuse me. I'm really fighting allergies today, so I might have to clear my throat here. Uh, A residential institution for people of all ages, but most of the patients would end up being children. At its peak, the asylum had more than 130 buildings on roughly 2,000 acres of land and employed around 10,000 people in various capacities. It was a massive operation. Really was like a village. Uh, The asylum was named after American businessman William Pryor Letchworth, who supported reforms in the treatment and care of the mentally ill, poor, and disabled. When Letchworth was appointed president of the New York State Board of Charities in 1878, he pushed for a new model of care. As reported by Hudson Valley Magazine, Letchworth envisioned a self-contained and self-sustaining village of small cottages on a working farm. His plan was finally approved almost 30 years later in 1907. The state purchased the property in 1909, began construction, and the first residents were admitted on July 10th of 1911. The asylum quickly received praise and was considered a model institution. Letchworth was founded on principles that were revolutionary for the time. They had policies for separating the patient population, such as having children living apart from able-bodied adults and having healthy adults living apart from sick adults. And sadly, those ideas were new. Patients were assigned tasks based on their abilities and also received vocational training for skills like carpentry, shoe repair, and welding. Up until the 1960s, able-bodied residents worked on a communal farm that for many years produced enough food and livestock for everyone at Letchworth. The asylum was, for a time, fully self-sufficient, and even, even had its own small power plant. There were also initially restrictions on how many residents were allowed in housing. The dorms were never to exceed two stories and were designed to house 16 to 70 residents each. Each children's dorm had to have its own playground. The founders of Letchworth seemed to have truly the best intentions in mind, as I'm sure many who worked there also did. But the institution would be beset by so many troubling problems. Reports of a lack of proper funding and improper care of residents date all the way back to the 1920s. Both residents and staff would make abuse allegations. There were numerous reports of both staff and patients being raped. Numerous visitors started to note that children seemed malnourished, also appeared as if they were being abused. The staff would report shortages of food, water, and supplies. Overcrowding became a problem. Despite increased demand for care as time went on, the state would not pay for the construction of more buildings to satisfy increased demand. The sprawling campus was never designed to hold more than 3,000 patients. But by 1935, Letchworth had already exceeded that amount. By 1944, excess residents were being housed in buildings never intended to be dormitories. By 1950, there were 4,000 patients. By the late 60s, there were more than 5,000. Some reports claimed that eventually there would be approximately 8,000 patients, living in facilities never designed to hold less than half that amount. And as the number of patients increased, thanks to underfunding, the number of staff to take care of them decreased. Claims of mistreatment became more and more common. In 1972, ABC reporter Geraldo Rivera made a name for himself with an exposé on institutions in New York titled Willowbrook, The Last Great Disgrace. While the documentary was mainly focused on the Willowbrook State School on Staten Island, it also highlighted the deplorable conditions at Letchworth. Rivera made sure to arrive at Letchworth two hours early because he suspected staff would be ordered to clean and dress patients before cameras arrived. What he saw horrified both him and those who accompanied him. A Bronx congressman, Mario Biaggi gave Rivera a tour of the facility and said, Inside we have housed the children of many of our citizens who are subjected to what appears to be the worst possible conditions I've ever seen in my life. I've visited penal institutions all over the country. I've visited hospitals all over the country. I've visited the worst brigs in the military. I've never seen anything like this. The program showed naked, emaciated patients literally covered in their own filth. It showed horrific overcrowding, people locked in cages. The program highlighted a severe lack of staffing, maybe one staff member for every 50 or so patients. The exposure did lead to increased funding and oversight for Letchworth. Efforts were made to reduce overcrowding, and conditions did improve dramatically for patients in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But then again, due to underfunding and also a cultural shift away from programs like Letchworth, when it comes to treating severe physical and mental disabilities and illnesses, the facility shut down in 1996. The nearby towns of Haverstraw and Stony Point purchased the grounds, transformed some of the land into golf courses, some of the old buildings converted into schools, but a large portion of the property—or uh, sorry, a large portion of the property—became a public park. And then some of the now many long-abandoned buildings that were never torn down or converted for some new use are visible from the park's walking paths. Signs were put up to warn visitors to stay on the designated pathways and away from these buildings. Local police patrol the grounds and have arrested numerous trespassers over the years. Others they haven't caught have often reported strange and disturbing sights. While some unauthorized visitors have only claimed to see lights turning off and on by themselves, others have reported seeing shadowy entities moving through the boiler room or hearing disembodied moaning and shrieking in other places and more. The Ghost Adventures crew explored some of the buildings and talked with a young man whose friends claimed they saw a tall creature with deformed legs and piercing white eyes while exploring the grounds. And then there is the following intense encounter story. It was posted in the early days of the internet, uh, less than 10 years after the asylum shut down. Three teenagers decided to attempt an overnight stay on the abandoned grounds, and only one of them came away from the experience relatively unchanged. Time now for the tale of they took the darkness with them. Joel had heard plenty about Letchworth Village. The shutdown that occurred almost a year earlier was big news locally. When it happened, his parents told him they couldn't believe it took so long. His dad talked to him about watching the ABC documentary on the day it aired, many years earlier. Joel decided he needed to see the place for himself. With all the horrors that had occurred there, he figured the place had to be haunted. The night he decided to do some ghost hunting, he told his mom he was staying the night at his friend Marco's house. He didn't tell them, uh, his mom or his dad, that Marco's parents were out of town. He said they were going to order some pizza and play video games all night. Marco and another friend, Ryan, told their parents they were staying at Joel's house. Since all three teens had been staying at each other's houses for years, and they were normally great, responsible kids, none of the parents questioned any of this. And they all had the night to do with what they wished. Marco picked Joel up around 7 o'clock. Joel's other friend, Ryan, was already in the passenger seat. Joel hopped in the car with his backpack, which contained nothing more than a flashlight, a change of clothes, and some granola bars. Marco's grin reflected back at him in the rearview mirror. You ready, dude? He asked. Hella ready. Marco stopped at his house, but only to drop the car off and grab things, uh, his things before they headed out. It was close enough to walk to. He had the camcorder they were going to use. Marco and Ryan lived in the Thiel's, while Joel lived in nearby Stony Point. Marco lived only about a mile away from the walking trail they would use to enter the grounds a trail that passed by the old asylum. It hadn't been that long since the institution shut down, but the area had already fallen into a serious state of disrepair. Overgrown grass, broken windows, graffiti, other damage caused by vandals was everywhere. Despite all the vandalism, the police weren't really spending much time patrolling the area, at least not yet. Maybe it had something to do with all the ghost stories. Seemed like everyone who snuck around there at night, even if they didn't actually go into a building, came away with some story to tell. For months and months now, Joel had heard stories about disembodied voices, shadows running around corners, and he'd even heard from someone who said they were scratched by some unseen entity while walking through one of the buildings. When he heard about the scratch, that was when he decided that he had to check it out for himself. That was a few months ago, and now they were finally acting on their plan. Letchworth would not be the first place they'd trespassed to do some ghost hunting, just potentially the most exciting. They'd been spending the majority of their weekends exploring forest trails and abandoned places for about a year now. Joel and Marco were always researching new places they could hike or drive to. And they'd been filming their adventures with Marco's camcorder, hoping to catch some proof of the paranormal. Maybe then they'd get their own TV show or something. Or at least get to appear on some TV show and be local celebrities. It was with these thoughts in mind that they set out into the cold darkness that surrounded Letchworth at night, hoping to see something. Joel still wasn't sure if he fully believed in ghosts, but he, but man, he wanted to. He wanted to witness something indisputable, and he had a good feeling about Letchworth. If any of the stories he had heard were true, this might be the night he finally saw something undeniable. The hike to get in ended up being a bit longer than they thought it would. Joel wished he'd brought a thicker coat. The chill was starting to get to him. Eventually, they could see some buildings through the trees in the distance. They'd made it careful to be as quiet as possible just in case the area had any security guards or police patrolling it. No one said anything as they got closer and closer to the first building. They stood in silence for a few moments in front of a door that looked like it used to be locked, but had been broken. Well, Marco finally said, should we go in? Of course, that's why they were there. However, Joel didn't speak. He'd gotten a little more spooked all of a sudden than he wanted to admit. He shrugged his shoulders non-committedly. Then Ryan said, hell yeah. Marco pulled out his camcorder. A moment later, the flashing red light indicated he was recording. Marco pointed the camera at the building ahead of them and started talking. Today is October 20th, 2000. My name is Marco Perez. Myself and my fellow researchers, Joel Lewis and Ryan Adams, are here at the old Letchworth Village Asylum in Thiels, New York. Marco took a step closer and continued talking. We are standing in front of what looks like a residential building. The patients at Letchworth were housed in filthy, overcrowded conditions for many years. Could their tormented spirits still linger inside the building? And then he shut off the camcorder. Ryan burst out laughing. Dude, you sounded like a fucking idiot. Tormented souls? What are you even talking about? Whatever, asshole. It's called professional narration. I'm taking this seriously. Are you? Ryan rolled his eyes and laughed instead of answering. While Ryan definitely did not take the professionalism and research side of ghost hunting seriously, he was useful because he was such a daredevil. He was willing to go anywhere without hesitation and was often the first one to enter buildings and walk down long, dark hallways by himself. It was Ryan who now walked up to the front steps, or walked up the front steps leading to the door of the residential building they stood in front of. You guys coming or what? The busted door groaned as he pulled it open. Joel took a deep breath and followed. He couldn't shake a nervous feeling lingering within him. Normally, he only got spooked if he heard something strange. He hadn't heard anything yet, and he'd still never seen something during their many ghost hunting trips. So, why was he on edge now? Nothing should be scary about an empty building full of nothing more than pests and trash. But a voice in his mind pestered him. What if something else is in there? Ryan was now waiting for them just inside the door, shining his light all around the building. The place was trashed, with broken windows, graffiti, and garbage everywhere and even some holes in the floor. But it did look structurally sound enough to continue exploring, so they did. Joel soon found himself agitated by the sounds of their footsteps as they walked through the first floor. He worried they were causing some sort of disturbance, that they were being watched by something they couldn't see, something that did not like being disturbed. But then, as they continued, that feeling slowly began to leave him. About three hours later, after thoroughly exploring four buildings and finding nothing unusual or scary, not even a rogue animal, they decided Letchworth Village might be a bust. Joel went from spooked to bored, frustrated, and disappointed. They decided to go back to the old dorm, the first building they walked in, and try to sleep for a few hours. Marco hoped to still document something. He wanted to leave the camera recording while they were sleeping like he had seen on some TV show, a Hail Mary to get proof of the paranormal. After laying down their sleeping bags on the floor of the very first room they'd walked in, the room where they felt the most spooked, Marco walked over to the corner, set up his camcorder, so it would capture their sleeping forms and almost the entire entrance area of the building around them. They decided to stay by the front door just in case they needed to make a quick exit during the night. The three of them set up their sleeping bags and a line. Joel zipped himself in all the way. He'd been freezing for a while now. Air just kept getting colder and colder. Marco zipped himself up, looked and spoke into into his camcorder. It is now 2.47 a.m. on October 21st. We are going to leave the camera running while we sleep in hopes that we might capture paranormal evidence. If there are any spirits in this place, and now he raised his voice, please feel free to communicate with us. Show yourselves. Give us a sign that you're here. We don't mean you any harm. We just want to talk to you. The nervous feeling from earlier came back for Joel, full force. He did not like that Marco had given any nearby spirits an open invitation to appear around them uh, while they were so vulnerable. Unsurprisingly, Ryan didn't care, and his snores were filling the room just a few minutes later. He clearly did not, uh, wasn't worried about the invitation. They'd long joked he could sleep anywhere under any conditions. Soon, Joel could hear Marco breathing deeply next to him. Joel now had some trouble falling asleep himself. His mind kept racing, picturing all sorts of creepy figures standing around them while they slept, maybe grabbing him, dragging him into some dark room while he was stuck in his sleeping bag and couldn't escape. Joel tried his best to think about how the sun was rising in a few hours, casting a warm light over the dark property, and it would illuminate the shadows that currently felt like they were creeping closer and closer. It was that mental image that finally began to soothe him to sleep. But then, just as he was drifting off, Joel heard a single, dull, heavy thump directly above him. Startled, he quickly opened his eyes and scanned the ceiling above him. He was equal parts terrified and intrigued, He didn't know if he wanted to hear a second thump or not. While waiting to hear it again, he fell asleep. But after what felt like just a few minutes, Joel was woken up by Ryan, roughly shaking him. Wake the fuck up, he hissed, shaking Joel again. What? Joel groaned, rubbing his eyes in confusion. Marco's gone. Joel now bolted up into a sitting position and looked at the empty sleeping bag beside him. He then looked into the corner and noticed a distinct absence of a blinking red light. Where is he? Joel whispered. I don't know I woke up a minute ago And I saw he was gone And I just heard something upstairs But it didn't It didn't sound like Marco What does that mean? I, I don't know man It just didn't sound right Like a, like a different kind of footstep let's, let's check it out Joel's heart pounded as he stood up He felt sick with dread Normally Ryan would go anywhere by himself If he wanted back up That meant he was scared And Ryan was never scared So Joel was now terrified They walked up the old stairs As quietly as possible flashlights in hand but not turned on yet Joel clutched the railing tightly he listened for any signs of their friend but heard nothing they now slowly walked down a long dark hallway Joel felt his heart leap into his throat every time he peeked into a room not knowing what would be inside they finally found Marco in the second to the last room he was sitting on the floor back turned to them crunched over his camcorder replaying some footage Joel could hear fuzzy background noise and Ryan snoring He and Ryan shared a look. Marco hadn't heard them approaching, too absorbed in the footage. Marco! Joel said softly, not wanting to startle him. Marco's back straightened, his head snapped up and whipped around to look at them. Joel would never forget the look in his eyes. There was just enough moonlight coming in from an open window to see that Marco was terrified by whatever he saw in that camcorder. Marco didn't speak. What are you doing up here? Joel continued. Why did you take the camcorder? Did you see something? Marco hesitated for a long time. He finally opened his mouth. I, I. I. Thump. 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 It was the same noise Joel heard before he fell asleep, but this time coming from down the hallway. They all froze. Joel didn't know what to do. If it was the police, they would have announced themselves and stormed into the room to maybe arrest them. He found himself wishing that was the case. This was someone else. Something else. Thump. Thump. Ryan now turned towards the door, acting like he was going to step into the hallway. But Joel grabbed his arm, shaking his head in a warning. Ryan jerked his arm away. I'm not scared, he whispered. Then louder. I'm not scared of any motherfucker that thinks he can mess with me. Come out already. Joel grabbed his arm again. Ryan, he pleaded. I don't think it's a person out there. Ryan freed himself and stepped into the hallway, boldly staring down whatever was on the other side. Joel was too scared to move. He couldn't see down the hall, but he could see Ryan, and he saw Ryan tense up. He heard that noise again, just once this time. Thump. Holy shit, Ryan whispered. And then again. Thump. Joel now watched Ryan's shoulders rising and falling rapidly like he was hyperventilating. Joel reminded himself why he had come to Letchworth, to see something, to find proof of the paranormal, so he gathered up his courage and stepped to the threshold of the room. Just when he was about to step into the hallway, the air filled with a piercing, nightmarish shriek. Faster than he could blink, a large black mass flew, literally flew, towards Ryan and instead of hitting him, passed through his body, the force throwing him back a few feet. Ryan landed on his back with a loud thud, smacking his head against the floor. Joel was still terrified, but now his concern for his friend outweighed his fear. He clicked on his flashlight, moved towards Ryan, all while scanning for that black figure. The hallway was empty. Ryan, Joel shouted, kneeling down next to him. Are you okay? He groaned. Joel sagged with relief, and then Ryan opened his his eyes, and when Joel saw what they looked like, he jerked away. Ryan naturally had dark eyes, but for just a second, Joel swore they had turned entirely black. Ryan's eyes quickly returned to their normal dark brown color, although they were filled with an abnormal terror. It's okay, Joel said. It's gone. Ryan was trembling. Are you okay? I feel, he started, and then it was like a switch was flipped. Ryan stopped shaking immediately. All of a sudden, he was back to his normal self. Yeah, I'm fine. He stood up on his own, clapped Joel on the shoulder, strode into the room where Marco was sitting on the floor, clutching his camcorder. Ryan plucked it out of his hand. Marco said nothing. They all stood there in silence for a moment, not sure what to do next, and then it was Marco who spoke. I think I want to go home. They all rushed to grab their things and get out of there. Even though the adrenaline had faded, leaving Joel feeling exhausted both mentally and physically, he still jogged as fast as he could through the wooded property, back onto the trails leading to Marco's house. He hoped the feeling of fear would leave him, but it didn't. He'd never been so glad to see Marco's place. Joel noticed that Ryan kept Marco's camcorder in his bag for the rest of the night, and then took it home with him. Marco didn't seem to notice or care. He was unusually quiet that night, jumpy and tense. Joel wanted more than anything to know what Marco had seen in the camcorder footage and what Ryan had seen down the hallway. What was that black mass? But Ryan maintained a tight grip on his backpack, and neither of them, neither of them wanted to talk about what they'd witnessed. When morning came, Ryan left Marco's house with nothing more than a, See you guys later. Marco drove Joel home to Stony Point. He was silent the entire ride and still had that empty look in his eyes. Marco, what did you see in the footage? Joel asked again before he left the car. "Ah, Nothing, he answered, a little too fast. Are you sure? You can tell me. I won't tell Ryan if you don't want me to. But he probably already watched the video. It's okay if you were scared. I was. Marco's laughter was definitely fake. I didn't see anything. I-, I thought I did. So I came upstairs to check it out. That's it. I don't know what happened with Ryan, though. Joel knew he was lying, but it wasn't like he could force Marco to tell him. If only he could get his hands on that camcorder footage. They didn't talk for the rest of the weekend, and they didn't talk about Letchworth Village at school either. Marco and Ryan were just pretending like nothing happened. It was driving Joel crazy. When Ryan finally suggested that they could come to his house or that they come to his house to hang over the next weekend, Joel was determined to find that camcorder. To his knowledge, Marco hadn't asked for it back. He discreetly checked around Ryan's house for it. When Ryan used the bathroom and Marco wasn't paying attention, he ducked into his room. He tried to think of where Ryan would hide something, decided under the bed was the best place to look. He found a shoebox tucked away near the wall. Joel opened it up and bam, there it was. Marco's camcorder. But smashed. Really smashed. Looked like Ryan had taken a hammer to it joel now quickly put the box back and went out into the hallway almost letting out a shout when he saw ryan standing there leaning against the wall arms crossed over his chest ryan didn't speak joel didn't like the way he was staring at him something wasn't right about it find anything ryan asked when ryan finally blinked joel swore he saw his eyes turn black for the briefest second like that night at wet letchworth although ryan's posture was casual he still felt threatened Joel was more irritated than scared, though. He was tired of the secrets. He took a step closer to Ryan. "'What's in the footage?' he asked. Ryan smiled, but it didn't reach his eyes. "'Nothing.' Joel had a feeling then, at this moment, that he wasn't talking to Ryan. He hesitated before asking, "'Where's my friend?' Ryan's eyes changed again. A thin smile crossed his face. "'Gone.' Then, just as quickly, he was back to normal. He seemed confused as to why Joel was glaring at him. "'What's going on?' he asked. I don't, I don't know, Joel answered, more confused than ever now. Ryan shook his head. Come on, I'm gonna kick your ass at FIFA. Joel followed Ryan down the stairs and back into the living room with Marco. He tried to relax and get into the game, but made an excuse to leave as soon as he could. He didn't know it then, but that would be the last time he ever hung out with Ryan and Marco on the weekend. As the final months of their senior year passed, the boys grew apart. Marco was focused on applying to colleges. Joel was still deciding what he wanted to do, and Ryan, well, Ryan had changed. A lot. He became very withdrawn, and then he stopped coming to school most days. When he did, he caused trouble in class now, even started getting into fights. And then one day, he pulled a knife on a kid. He got expelled for that one. Last he heard, Ryan left the area. No college, didn't finish high school, no job that they were aware of. He just left, and no one seemed to know where he went. Marco and Joel graduated and went their separate ways. Joel ran into Marco a few times over the coming years. He never saw Ryan again, and Marco said he hadn't seen him either. Joel didn't like the way Marco looked when he last saw him. He looked, for lack of a better word, haunted. Like he never got any good sleep. Like there was something eating him up. Something he couldn't stop thinking about. Joel knew that the change in both Marco and Ryan was caused by whatever they saw that night at Letchworth. Even though he was filled with a burning curiosity about what was on Marco's camcorder, he was also so glad he hadn't gotten a good look at it. That shadowy whatever it was he saw fly through his friend was all the proof of the paranormal he would ever need. He felt lucky to leave his ghost hunting days behind him and not lose himself in the process.
1: Um, feels a little bit unresolved. We know how I feel about that. Uh... We're watching Yellow Jackets. So I'm already mm. like thinking in this headspace of um, yeah. like what happens when some people see or do something that other people don't. I don't want to give anything away. But yeah, it is like, I don't know. If we were in a, if, okay, if we went on a ghost hunting adventure, mm-hmm. you want to see something more than I do most days. Most days, yeah. Yeah. And so it, it would be a, it's such a curious thing to consider because if you saw it, I would then want to see it because I would right. want to have that shared experience. Like I completely understand yeah. where Joel's coming from. Like you want to know, you want to be in on it. And if they know, and you yeah, know, yeah, when yeah. you're a kid too, even more so. And then, but then you're saved because you don't know. And he did get like the confirmation that he felt that he needed. Yeah. But like, then how do you relate to your friends anymore? How do you help them? How, like, right. I don't know. It's so complicated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Like, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of the yellow jackets thing. Like my mind, you know, mind is there now too about how odd where it's like, okay, they're all three in the same space, mm-hmm. but it affected all three of them differently. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Ryan the most intensely by what, whatever like passed through him, Marco, by what he looked in, uh, in a camcorder at least. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Joel, you know, just saw like a blur kind of move past and whatever that thing was, didn't seem to affect him. Mm-hmm. Didn't seem to see him. But, yeah, that would be so strange to, uh, like, how it would affect different people differently. But I guess, you know, like, they talk about, like, peop- some people are more open to these experiences than other people. Some people have walls up. And that supposedly can affect, you know, paranormal experiences. And, uh,
1: But surprisingly, man, Ryan was the least…
0: Right, yeah, Ryan was… Uh, the
1: least fearful.
0: least fearful of that stuff.
1: So you would think, theoretically, the least open.
0: Right. But maybe, maybe he did believe in that kind of stuff, but just thought, like, whatever. I, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm not afraid of any ghosts. But then that thing got inside him, it seems like, based on what Joel's saying.
1: Gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. What did you think the thump was?
0: I thought it was footsteps. Okay. But I don't know.
1: I thought it was like a like a cane or, because it, mm. it, it, it sounded like singular. And I mean, of course, yeah. it was in your inflection and in how you're interpreting the story. Right. But I was thinking of uh, somebody with a cane, like an old man or something, you know, who like needs mm. that to ah. walk. Ah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or of someone who worked there like uh, I had the thought of like like a prison guard like, like an
0: orderly like yeah uh,
1: but not a good one who had yeah. some sort of like I don't know something that they would use to abuse the patients and right. just like that sound like a because then I could think about patients hiding in rooms Ooh, being like scared hit,
0: hitting the wall with it as they walked down just the, like a
1: warning and then was going to like come in I was thinking of like a baton type yeah, yeah, yeah. item
0: slamming that against uh, the wall and then come
1: it. in and would beat patients with it
0: yeah I know.
1: What a, what my, a, my brain is so dark sometimes. No,
0: but that, I mean, sadly, those people have exi- have existed, not just, I, you know, and-
1: Have existed and, and- do exist. do exist, which is the worst.
0: I know. What a sick individual. Just a uh, terrorist especially sick when you have an especially vulnerable population.
1: Yeah. We're not it's talking like, about like-, you're, like
0: you're, you're a real piece of shit if you're doing that.
1: Yeah. You're not in max security yeah. beating the shit out of, you know, pedophiles.
0: <laughs> right you know right. it's
1: like oh you're beating an old elderly man who can't defend himself or, or
0: a child who is physically disabled mentally disabled you know like that and mm-hmm. you know has no idea what's going on and again Ugh. can't defend themselves it's like that is so dark
1: that is so sick mm-hmm. Ooh, it makes my stomach hurt
0: uh, i have some pictures of this place
1: i figured you might
0: yeah i have quite a few uh interestingly it was very very difficult maybe just because it closed down right when the internet was barely getting started and people weren't like Posting things very often, yeah. To find pictures of it during its when it was in use, like exterior pictures, very diff- difficult. Um, so I found even this, with
1: the Geraldo Rivera thing,
0: that was like interior. There's like there's like mm. you know I guess I could have taken a screenshot of the of the grounds. I mean, and I didn't. I chose not to do any of the pictures of the patient. It, it's so sad.
1: Yeah, that's it's fine.
0: it's. Uh, but um, but here's a a picture of just like uh, the one of the main buildings. Oh. And then there is some patients there, but, you know, it's like you can just kind of barely see their little silhouettes. And, you know, that's when it was in its glory. I mean, it, it was this so crazy colonial big, looking. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, like a built really well and truly like a village and so many different buildings. And then because of all the ghost hunting that's gone on in the last 10, 15 years, there's a lot of pictures of it now. Okay. So here's a more recent picture of one of the many now abandoned buildings.
1: Wow, so big.
0: Uh-huh. Just like uh, one of the big dorms. It's iv- ivies grown all over this building. But you can tell that it used to be really cool.
1: I, I'm actually surprised when you were talking about the cities that bought it. And mm-hmm. I was waiting for you to say, and now it's a boutique hotel.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah.
1: I am very surprised that they haven't done anything with those structures.
0: Two golf courses, you know, with some of the grounds, just some of the land. And yeah. then converted a few buildings into schools. But I guess there were just so many buildings. They just had more than they needed mm-hmm. to do things with. And yeah, they just uh, they left to rot. Uh, and you can see how Damage they are. Here's a picture of one of the hallways inside of one of the buildings.
1: Oh man. (laughs) I mean,
0: yeah. Yeah, really beat up and graffiti everywhere. Just so creepy looking.
1: Probably so much asbestos.
0: Oh yeah, just based on like when it was uh, built. Yeah. Uh Here's another. Here's a picture of one of the rooms, like the inside of one of the rooms where they left the old bed. That's always creepy when the mattress is still there. And then just some random old computers in the corner.
1: That's not a bed, that's like a couch. That's a oh, is it? Yeah, or like a long, like foot, um, you know, mm, like a long stool. I, I mean, see. what freaks me out about that is that that kind of feels like there was like therapy.
0: Oh yeah, something. Yeah, It
1: has some sort of I don't know, you know, like lie down and tell me all your secrets.
0: <laughs> Here's a picture of it inside, uh, inside one of the other rooms, and again, just um, e. That is creepy to be like trapped in a little room like that, or to stay the night in the room like that.
1: Yeah, it's just. Oh
0: God. And then just one more interior pick that I just thought was just showed how dilapidated it is, and just um to be able to imagine at night.
1: Oh it yeah, there's like? no way. Yikes! Yeah, that looks like you know some giant common room. Mm-hmm. But the intention behind it was. Yeah, it yeah. Is at so first, it was frustrating great. and so upsetting because it's like, why did they lose their funding? And I mean, we don't need mm-hmm. to have like this whole long debate about it. But what do we do? With people, there are people that are just inherently Uh born ill in a variety of ways, and they don't deserve to suffer for that. That's not their fault.
0: No, I mean, and and then
1: some people are so abused in their lives that they are so mentally ill that, but have enough wherewithal to know that like they're not okay. I I
0: don't know. It is a really tricky thing, and it's always going to be a really tricky thing because you know some people need you know so much care that. You know, it's just, there there isn't always the funding, depending on how many people. If, if if thousands of people are completely dependent on, they need you know a few people each. I know to be treated, and then you know, and they need treatment twenty four hours because they will hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and they can't feed themselves; they can't do anything for themselves. It's always gonna, you know, it's never not gonna be a, a a tough problem.
1: I know, because then it, then the the moral debate, I mean, for me begins at. How, they, are they aware?
0: I know because some, if if, some if they are, not,
1: yeah. I almost think that's Oof. worse. Yeah, you know,
0: it's if, a fate you wouldn't wish on anybody. You know, it's well, there's
1: a, a few people I'd wish on, but <laughs> right, that's that's a different story. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but. Yeah, oh man! Uh, when you were starting this story off, I was like, "Are we telling the same story?" Because my first story, even though I knew it wasn't, yeah, uh, it is at a mental health facility, and it was considered, you know, cutting edge at the time because yeah. of the humane practices they were using.
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Great minds, buddy. <laughs> uh, no, that would that was great. I'm I'm sorry about Ryan. It's pretty sad. I wonder what his parents must think. Could you imagine Mm -hmm. like our kids go to a sleepover and then they come home
0: and they're never the same,
1: never the same. And, and, you know, you run through the gamut of things. Okay. Did you go to a party and something happened? Did you hurt someone? Did someone hurt you? Mm -hmm. Like you, you go through this checklist, you try to, you know, get them to therapy, but then they just kind of vanish out of your life. No job, no education, no forwarding address, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Yeah, These, those are the stories that make me not want to believe in this stuff. It's like, I don't want it to be a real possibility. It's
1: just too heavy.
0: Uh, are you ready to leave the asylum and explore a few near-death experiences that did not leave people comforted by what they uh, saw waiting for them?
1: I'm not thrilled about this because I currently have no fear of dying. So
0: We explore the opposite of a white light experience after a word from our sponsors. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle? Some random knick-knack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day?
1: I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the (laughs) world's best. So lame.
0: This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura Picture Frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura Frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want.
1: This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura Frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts.
0: Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
0: Visit BetterHelp.com slash Scared to Death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel dot com slash Scared to Death.
1: Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime beramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time.
0: Head to factormeals.com slash death 50 and use code death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code death 50 at factormeals.com slash SCAREDTODEATH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to our sponsors, Creeps and Peepers. Now it is time to explore some strange, dark, possible proof of life after death. Near-death experiences. They are seen by many as the best proof we have of an afterlife. They typically share many of the same details. Someone's heart stops beating due to either a heart attack or an accident or when they're on the operating table and then they see a white bright light at the end of a tunnel or they're surrounded by this white light, often also greeted by departed loved ones. It all plays out rather heavenly, but not always. In a few instances, those who have died have reported a much more hellish taste of the afterlife. Here are a few of those stories. Time now for, the tale, for a tale of a taste of torment. On November 23rd, 1998, Bill Weiss awoke suddenly from his sleep in the middle of the night. His throat felt dry, almost sore, and so he went downstairs to get a drink of water. He went to the kitchen, quenched his thirst, and then went to make his way through the living room and head back upstairs. As he entered the living room, however, suddenly he felt a lump in his throat. His body started to shake, and then he fell to the floor. At that point, he believes that he died. After dying, he felt like he kept falling through the floor he said he just kept falling and falling and falling until finally he hit cold hard stone. Sitting up, he now looked around himself, uh, seemed as if he was in some sort of cell or dungeon. He was surrounded by damp, dark stone. There were bars across one wall. The stench was unbearable, stale and rotten. It tickled the back of his nose and throat until he thought he might vomit. And then there was the heat, searing heat entering the cell in the form of dark gray smoke. This is when he said he realized He had died and he was in hell. Looking to the smoke, he now saw creatures in the cell with him near the walls, circling him like prey. He said they must have been almost 12 feet tall. They had dark, scaly, greasy-looking skin and sunken eyes, drool dripping from sharp alligator-like teeth, shining in the dim light of the cell. These things moved towards him slowly and menacingly, exuding hatred and anger. Outside the bars, he could see other humans, people like him, but people burning in a raging pit of fire, charred and melting flesh, hanging from their bones. "'The putrid smell of their burning flesh "'filled his nostrils and lungs. "'And then Bill was suddenly lifted off the ground "'by one of the creatures circling him "'and flung against the hard stone wall. "'He could feel his bones break. "'He could hear them shatter under his skin. "'Now, while on the ground, he felt a razor-sharp claw "'rip into his chest and began to slice it open. "'The pain was unbearable. "'He felt close to blacking out, but he was dead. "'He was dead and he couldn't black out. "'He could only endure. "'He worried that his pain and torment "'would go on forever.' He realized this was damnation, eternal suffering. A feeling of utter despair and hopelessness consumed him, but then he felt his body being lifted again. But this time, not by any creature. And this time he kept going up and up and up. He felt dragged through miles of what he assumed was the earth until he came back to life on his living room floor with a sputtering cough. He now believes he was given a second chance to avoid this fate. Kenneth Hagen was born in McKinney, Texas, 1917. He was born with a deformed heart and what the doctors believed was an incurable blood disease. He was not expected to live a long life. In accordance with that expectation in 1933 at the age of 15, he became bedridden with a lingering illness. And on the evening of April 22nd, his health took a turn for the worse and his family believed he was near death. Laying in what he feared was his deathbed, Kenneth suddenly felt a searing pain shoot up through his heart like a lightning bolt. As the initial pain subsided, His body slowly became enveloped in a wave of numbness. It started down in his toes, then moved through his ankles, calves, knees, and then thighs. His hips went numb, then his stomach, and then his heart. At this point, he and his family believed he died, and he believed he now left his body. Kenneth claimed later that he could see himself in the bed as he floated above. He watched confused as his family stood around him. He couldn't speak to or touch them. "'Then as he desperately tried to communicate with them, "'he felt his spirit being dragged down, 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 down. "'He felt himself being dragged into a deep, dark tunnel, "'the light from the earth fading completely "'as he fell ever deeper and deeper. "'Finally, he landed on something solid, "'surrounded by the deepest darkness he had ever seen. "'And then a small portion of that darkness was illuminated "'by a stream of orange and white light. "'He looked towards the light and saw flames in the distance, "'huge, roaring flames.' He could feel the heat emanating from them, and now felt his body being dragged down again, this time towards the flames. He felt as if he were being drawn to them like a magnet, some unknown force that he couldn't fight against. He could feel his skin starting to burn as he was dragged closer and closer, his ears were ringing with the distant sounds of screaming and howling. Almost touching him now, the flames caused the skin on his body to start to bubble, and he screamed out with the most intense pain he'd ever felt by leaps and bounds. Then a loud noise like the loudest thunder anyone has ever heard filled the space and everything around him began to shake and crumble. And then the very next moment, he found himself back up on his grandparents' porch. He floated through the front door and saw his family still surrounding his bed. He looked at his grandmother sobbing. She was grieving over what looked like his dead, not breathing body. He then fe- felt pulled towards his body and he woke up with a jolt and sucked in a big lung full of air. His grandmother was now hugging him in immense relief plastered across her face. The room was filled with sighs and gasps and happy crying. But then he was gone again, falling through the blackness towards the fire, heat and pain and the distant wailing, filling his whole being. Then he woke up again. Kenneth would claim to die not just twice, but also a third time that day. But he said the last time he felt himself being pulled upwards towards a bright, pleasantly warm light that surrounded him. Then after hearing another sound like thunder, he woke again and his illness was gone. He went on to believe for the rest of his life that he had three separate near-death experiences that day, shown hell twice and heaven once. Finally, the most well-known hellish near-death experience is probably that of a Michigan priest, Gerald Johnson. Gerald's story has been repeatedly told in places around the world. He suffered a heart attack in 2016 and says he was launched from his body and dragged down to the center of the earth where he claims he entered hell. The things I saw down there were indescribable, Gerald has said. I was there and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. No one deserves that. Gerald says he found himself standing on a damp, slippery stone, surrounded by pits of fire. He said in front of him he witnessed a man walking on all fours like a dog. He had a chain around his neck and was constantly being burned from head to toe, his skin sizzling and bubbling. A huge creature that Gerald could only assume was a demon was holding the other end of the chain. The creature's eyes bulged when he noticed Gerald, who shrunk away in fear from his maniacal stare. Gerald also claims that this was but one of many hellish scenes he witnessed. Everywhere he looked, he witnessed demons torturing people, people being burned alive over and over again. Thankfully, eventually, Gerald felt himself being pulled back into his body. His heart had started to beat again, and he was left feeling grateful for a powerful reminder to live a better life.
1: I don't know. I know. It's tough. So the 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 priest mm-hmm. It just feels a little too convenient to, mm. that lines up with like a message that he would, yeah, want to use in his preaching. Which and
0: and, and he did. I I will say uh, all three encounters. The people went on to. I mean, the, the priest was already you know working in that way. Uh, the other two guys went on to become uh, big speakers in various like Christian movements.
1: Yeah, it's so tough because it's like I, I do want to believe that just mm-hmm. as much. I mean, well, I don't, don't like, want to believe. it. <laughs> I don't yeah. say I don't actually want to, but I. But if if yeah. I. If I mean, I think that when you die, you just die. I don't actually think anything yeah. really that think, exciting happens. I, I don't know.
0: I'm open to like some stuff happening, but yeah, I see what you're saying.
1: Well, but you're probably really only open to the idea of like you know getting to hang out and visit your family as a spirit, or like going to some happy no, place. No, I don't think
0: that even. I think it's like some unknown. I think you just get transformed into something else. I, I'm open to like it could be nothing. You could just be like ground back into particles, and then it's not nothing. But you are now you're just I don't know your tree, your
1: atoms floating in the air. Yeah,
0: your dog, whatever. You're mm-hmm. you're in. What used to be you is now in other things, yeah. I don't know about consciousness, but I'm open. Gotcha. I'm open to the possibility that your consciousness could then move on to some other place. I don't know.
1: i I, I think I can maybe accept that the most that, like mm-hmm. I'm not still Lindsay. But just like a tree, but also like, I want to be me again, you know, like, you know, just like not any sort of real awareness of what's going on, whether I come back as another human or an animal Mm. or a a part of the earth. I I guess I can wrap my head around that. Or or you
0: go to some other place, not even connected to earth.
1: Yeah. I I just think when you're dead, you're dead. But that aside. Yeah. If we're going to say like, okay, well, you know, maybe there are like creatures that hang out and there's spirits and stuff. I and those, we we say like those could be good spirits because those could be bad spirits. To me, that's the same as saying like there could be heaven, there could be hell. Yeah. It just, I don't know why it always feels like the hell version just feels so, um, what's the word I want? Like- so descriptive and so just, it's almost like comical. I'm like, seriously? Oh, yeah, yeah. Walking a human on a leash and there's these demons. I don't know why. It just, and maybe that's not a fair reaction. I mean, I was raised Catholic, so it's like I was definitely raised to believe that hell was a fiery place. But like, is it really? Or because other people would say that like, well, hell is like a hell of your own making. It's all the things Mm -hmm. that you're afraid of. Mm -hmm. It's all your deepest fears. It's all your worst um, moments in life lived over and over. So when we get into these like, Demons unleash this thing. I just okay. I have a hard time with that.
0: Going with what you said though about like it's your worst fear. Yeah, if your belief system is based on yes, yes, your okay, worst you're fear right. Being hell, then then that would fit, right. that would align with that.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, that's a that's a that's a fair point. That's a fair point. That that second guy, that's a
0: scary possibility. That's that's the worst possibility that whatever you fear the most. Whatever that happens to be, if it's a fiery pit of dungeons and demons and stuff, then that's yeah. the worst thing. But what if it's like drowning over and over again? Uh what if I mean it could be an innumerable amount of different things. Whatever is the worst fear of yours, how terrible if like that was a possibility to relive that. I don't believe that. I know, but what but if man, it's scary as to think about.
1: My my biggest fear, like you were talking about things, I'm like, oh no, like the surgery death kind of thing. Ugh, like, you know, yeah. like you're like, you're in surgery and you see heaven or hell or yeah. like that. Like, I mean, truly my biggest fear in life is having to have surgery and waking up in the middle of it and feeling everything. Cause I saw it on ER one time.
0: Oh, I see. And it does
1: happen like one in, I forget what the, the odds are. It it does happen and it can happen. Yeah. That's why like a anesthesiologist is with you the whole yeah, time. Yeah. But, um. God. But on that second that's, guy, that's that,
0: your worst fear is like the, having that over and over.
1: In terms of like a physical pain, yeah. like like my my biggest fear, my biggest emotional, just like human living in this world, fear is us getting divorced. That is yeah my, yeah yeah. That is my truly biggest yeah. fear in life. But that's we're good we're good. That, <laughs> <laughs> we fucking better be, buddy. <laughs> right now you're like so about that. <laughs> um, but but that's a different kind of fear yeah. that's based in something totally different than yeah. like a physical painful fear. But I, yeah, those are my two biggest fears in life.
0: My, my biggest fear as far as like like a moment to be like played out over and over yeah. would be like there was like, like this bluegrass band at like a county fair. And there's not that many people watching them. And then they're using me as like one of their instruments and they're playing my wiener as like a, a banjo type thing. And then they're playing my balls as some little those. And the crowd. Got- Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> if-
1: You're being okay. attacked by Layla's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what if that. <laughs> <laughs> like, he had a really weird
1: fear. Uh, <laughs> as soon as you said a bluegrass band, I was like, this isn't going to be real. You jackass. I, if, for one second, I thought you were going to say, it, and then I'm held down and forced to listen to terrible bluegrass music no. for the rest of my life. Uh, but wait, but that second guy, that Kenneth Hagen guy, it did make me wonder, uh, or like, a, like okay, so he goes to hell twice, yeah, his hell or otherwise, and mm. then he sees heaven once. Yeah. And I... I there's no way to know this because no one has actually died and come back. Yeah, in a in a totally, significant totally. way in modern day, like because right. maybe your belief system is that God died and came back. And, you know, yeah, you're yeah, Jesus, yeah. and that's fine. But th- I'm talking about now. Yeah. But what if when you're dying, like you sort of are in this like free floating space, and you have to make quick decisions about like where you're going? Because that's the, that's kind of what I felt like. Mm. Kenneth is dying. And he's seeing hell. Yeah, and like we're curious people, oh, so maybe yeah. it's like, "Well, what's going on over there? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. what if you just kind of accidentally choose the wrong thing?" Oh just, man, I was having all these weird thoughts about like, "Huh, what could what could that mean? Like, why is he vacillating between these two? Like, why did he get to see hell twice and then get yeah. to see heaven? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's all very strange. Did you guys know the oh. Kenneth Higgin name before you, this story? No, no. did you? He's massively popular. Popular. Like yeah, Benny oh. Benny Hinn popular.
0: popular. Wow, oh, yeah, he's no longer around though. I don't think, right? I think he's is he still alive? Or no, did he, he pass? died in like Tulsa. Yeah, ago. yeah. Okay, yeah. Did yeah, I did not know the name.
1: Massively popular, like preacher it, guy. Yeah,
0: like yeah, uh, uh-huh. give his testimony about this, and, and then what became a minister, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like tele-
1: almost like televangelist. Okay, so. okay. Yeah, like a Billy Graham kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's tough because I, I don't know if I had this experience. Like I do. I don't always want to immediately discount these things just because I'm not a religious person, right? I I don't think that that's a fair thing to do. Taking that element out of it, if I myself had some sort of near-death experience and I saw one of these things, wouldn't I also want to go and tell people? Like, I would want to share my story. It just feels weirdly convenient. I know, I I know. I think that's what bothers me is it's like, I don't like anybody being manipulated. Right, right. Okay, I'm sure I you won, have pictures, I have one,
0: just one. This oh, okay. is, it's just a random picture. I just uh, put in a search for near death experience visions of hell, oh, and I thought this nice. was the creepiest picture that came up.
1: Yeah, that would be hellacious to say yep. that.
0: That's yeah. That's all I all I have for that.
1: That's all that came up though.
0: Uh, no, the the rest of it was like cheesy yeah that's it, it, cheesy it was, that's the word it, it, it i was wanted like, before it literally pitchfork guys it was like literally yep. like dude to the pitchforks And i was like wow that's that's not really scary yeah i, I can't stop thinking about my bluegrass vision <laughs> Can i just share a few more details sure dan of what's uh, going on in my head
1: and the Layla's have um put down their their weapons so okay, you won't be okay. attacked this time
0: i was just picturing like <laughs> it, my worst fear was you know how like like there's always like a, a big guy in overalls who's playing like a stand-up bass but maybe like a, a simple version like boom 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 boom. it just had, like two strings uh-huh I'm picturing that guy. He's holding me by the hair, and then like, like my, he's stretching me out, and then uh, I don't know how he do this with his arms. I guess I guess I'd have to be just frozen. I'd have to be frozen, and then he's stretching my wiener out, and he's and he, that's what he's doing. He's like, boom, 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 and I'm like, i like, no, stop. And then there's another guy that comes over, like, and he just like smacks my balls to play like some kind of percussion thing, and the crowd's watching and they're liking it, but I'm like, I don't want to. I'm in hell. Uh, I'm done. <laughs>
1: just to be clear these these are This is why I am nervous for Kyler to go to college because now I am going to have to sit and listen to these things. Kyler would be like loving this. He would think this is so funny and you and him would be off in your other Mm -hmm. world for the next, I don't know, five to 10 minutes Uh thinking about like weird scenarios like this.
0: Other, like what the other instruments would be and stuff. Yeah, we'd build out a whole scenario. There'd be a tour.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Monroe would actually probably get on the bandwagon. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Monroe, maybe even more than Kyler.
1: She is a funny, she Mm -hmm. has such an absurdist sense of humor (laughs) and you just don't ever see it coming with her because yeah. she'll just kind of be real quiet and then she mm-hmm. chimes in with those. Oh man. Yeah, no, she loves it. Yeah. So well, like thank God. Thank God. When they're both out of the house, I don't know what I'm gonna do. i'm <laughs> Gonna be stuck. Oh, do you have a Layla that you want to pick up off the ground or okay. I had one ready? Okay. They're really sorry about that attack.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's <was> pretty funny.
1: <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it. We are off to Vermont. Hey Dan and Lindsay. I look forward to the episodes each week. Can't wait to see y'all at camp. Yay! Yay. I love stories. Uh, I love knowing that we're going to tell this story and see this person at camp and get Mm -hmm. some more concrete conversation about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got two stories for you, both based out of Southern Vermont. First, I'll take you to the grounds of an old asylum that's still in use today. And the second is a short story about a possibly haunted waterfall. Okay. And I love all three of these stories today are things that we've explored, but just different angles on them. The the Brattleboro Retreat, originally the, the Vermont Asylum for the Insane, was founded in 1834. As like most mental health facilities during the time, patients had to endure abuse that we could never imagine. Considering the time period, though, the Brattleboro Retreat was ahead of its time. They aimed for moral treatment and approached shock therapy cautiously. This treatment was extremely limited to the patients. Instead, they pushed for patients to get fresh air, Therapeutic farming and kitchen work, enriched education and physical activity. They saw mental illness as a disease, not a character flaw or the results of living in sin, like many others believed during this time. Mm-hmm. Incredible. In 1887, they began assigning the patients to start constructing the 65-foot cylindrical Brattleboro Retreat Tower, believing that the physical activity would improve their condition. Once completed, it provided breathtaking views of the surrounding area, but it would soon prove to be disastrous. The exact number of patients leaping to their death from its top is hidden from the public. As if that isn't creepy enough, near the tower is also the Retreat Cemetery, which operated from 1842 to 1901. It's believed that over 600 people were laid to rest there, but the size of the lot is much too small for that amount of people, so it's thought that some bodies may have been removed from their burial grounds and transferred somewhere else. Many of the gravestones there are marked as unknown, and no one knows for sure how many people may still be buried there today. The trail to the retreat tower is short, and it's sweet, so it was the perfect opportunity for my dog Nova and I to stretch our legs after a long drive home one afternoon. We parked at the base of the ski jump and crossed the road to the head of the trail. The sun was setting, but the trail was only about a mile long, so I wasn't worried, and we started the loop and took in the scenery. Not long into our walk, I spotted something brown moving up ahead. I pulled Nova a little closer, not knowing what we were coming up upon, but then saw a deer grazing. The trees were darker in this area, and an unnatural quiet had settled through them. My heart skipped a beat for a second, waiting for the deer to prance away from our presence, but instead, it tilted its head and made direct eye contact with me. My heart suddenly felt heavy, and my eyes were transfixed on the doe's sad eyes. I felt my heart begin to pound as the deer blinked at me. Those eyes looked eerily human. Nova whined beside me, snapping me out of my hazy state. She made one sharp bark, and then suddenly, the deer was gone, simply vanished. It took me a moment to recoup, and once I did, we continued on the trail. The encounter didn't seem to bother Nova so much, so I took that as justification to go on ahead. As soon as we reached the tower, something zipped past my vision. I managed just to make out the back end of a deer running behind the tower and out of my sight. I quickly dragged Nova to the opposite side to see if I could get eyes on the doe again, but absolutely nothing. The damn thing kept vanishing. I started to convince myself that I was seeing things but then I heard a twig snap behind me. Quickly turning my body, I looked back at the tower to try to find the deer again, but instead, I was looking up at a falling body. It was quickly hurtling towards where Nova and I stood. Nova began growling, fur standing all the way up. I let out a shriek before the body hit the ground in anticipation, only the body never did reach the dirt. The whole scene faded away before the body made it that far, and I was left bewildered and confused. I frantically looked in every direction trying to spot that body that I clearly saw, or at least the strange deer, but came up with nothing. Nova seemed a little spooked, but other than that, there was no evidence that would suggest the vision I just saw was real. I left that trail with a lot of questions, but later found out that other people have also seen apparitions falling from the tower and disappearing before hitting the ground. I guess I'm glad to know I'm not completely crazy.
0: Weird. Isn't that weird? Weird. I can't think of a similar encounter claim like that. We, you see something, yeah, like like especially with the dog, it seemed like the dog saw it too. Uh huh. And th- and then just uh, I mean, yeah, because the deer was gone. I think when the body started falling, so what the dog reacted to was the body.
1: Seems like it. Seems
0: like it. Just the way like the way that the story was told. Yeah. And then and then to have like find out that other people also saw
1: that uh, thing. I mean, it's like a, it's like the ghosts or it's like the, the, the ghosts of the people who died by suicide from I that know, tower are like. Yeah. Proving it, showing it to you, reenacting it. it.
0: I guess there have been things like that similar in castles and stuff. Sorry, just like. Yes. With, yes. Like, uh, with, a uh, you know, a body that was, you, somebody was killed in this room or this tower, or whatever. Yeah. And, and they will show up bloody again. Yeah. Uh, it's just the falling. I don't, I can't recall hearing the falling, um, thing before.
1: And weird that like, be uh, so freaky right she sees it and like of course you would scream if you saw it but then yeah. you, you never hear the thud it I never know. hits the, it's such a like uh, what's a uh, dis um, oh my god not not disconcerting but like it would like discombobulating yeah. moment of like wait what like mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah to me I think that there needs to be an investigation I feel like it is some like the like the spirit saying like there is more to this like we're showing you over and over yeah you should look into what happened here we
0: either pushed or something or 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 just you forced know. to jump yeah I or like the reason they jumped was because of some so many terrible things that had happened to them
1: that i am sure is mm-hmm. very very real too Man. um okay well our our friend kat who said in that first story also yeah. has a second story that yeah. takes place in uh southern vermont And now for the second story, Hamilton Falls. It's a beautiful 125-foot waterfall in Jamaica, Vermont, made up of three pools. The top, the middle, and then a pool at the base of the waterfall that follows Cobb Brook. Hmm. The waters slice their way through deeply cut gorge walls, and while it can be tempting to jump into the top pool, it is extremely advised against doing so. You can easily lose footing or get sucked away by water currents that would pull you down a chute to the second pool, resulting in a 100-foot-plus drop. There's a sign warning visitors from trying to swim in the top pool, but that doesn't always stop people. For this reason, and also to stop someone from slipping and falling into the pool while looking over the edge, they've installed an emergency ladder. At least 12 fatalities have been recorded there, and while picturesque, it is also incredibly dangerous, and given all of the death that has happened at this local site, locals rarely visit. Despite this, my friend Jay and I decided to check out the waterfall one day. The hike is barely three miles, but with the sun scorching down in July, we were looking forward to cooling off in the lower pool, the only safe spot to swim at the falls. It didn't take us long to get to the base of the waterfall, and we were happily surprised to be the only two people there. We clicked We quickly got to it and began taking pictures and then relaxing in the water. About 20 minutes later, we decided to hike back and get lunch. But before we did, I suddenly heard a cry for help. Jay looked at me confused. We didn't quite register what was happening until we heard it again. Help! Help! Oh my God! Please help! My heart dropped and I ran back towards the waterfall, hiking up the side to see if I could see anyone near the edge of the top pools. Jay, hurry! Do you see anything down there? She yelled back no. And the screams continued, becoming more and more guttural, like a choked scream. I desperately searched the pools, darting my eyes back and forth, but saw nothing. The yells started to die away until we were left in total silence. The birds fell eerily quiet. The wind was still. And during that couple minutes, Jay and I saw absolutely no one. No indication that someone was near or had been or had slipped. Cat. No one was up here with us. And to my horror, I realized Jay was right. We were so convinced someone was there because of the cries, but we didn't actually see anyone or anything. We hung around the falls for a bit, trying to see if we could find someone, but turned up with nothing but questions. I believe that this area is marked with all the death that has occurred there, and I can't help but wonder if on that day we heard someone's last words Uh. before their traumatic death. I appreciate y'all, your team. Keep... Uh, keep us spooky each week. Keep the scares coming. Cat,
0: cat. Thank you. Yee.
1: Like another weird mm-hmm.
0: final thing being probably uh,
1: looped. It does feel like this little area. I don't know how close Brattleboro and uh, the, these falls are to one another, but does feel a bit overwhelmingly spooky.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Man, that would be that. It sounds like Sorry. that was during that last one was during the day. I'm assuming.
1: Yes, which uh, makes it worse. Yeah, it makes to me.
0: It makes, yeah, I was just thinking like, uh, maybe like that's the kind of paranormal experience I'd want to have. Where it's like it's definitely proof of something, oh, okay. but but then I'm also in the daylight where I feel less spooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it would get in my head and weird me out like later on, but also just uh, you know, if that happens to you, you you have to, I mean, how could you not believe in the paranormal?
1: Well, I think that this instance would pro- like this specific encounter, yeah. I wouldn't care for it because I would be like Am I sure no one was there? Did I just like not save somebody from dying?
0: Oh, I see. You get so, in your head that way. Yeah, this specific one I think would like- mm, I, see, I see, I see, Affect
1: my, I don't know. Maybe, my, maybe my the mind first one much. then.
0: Maybe the first one then of the falling.
1: Yes, actually. Where the, where the
0: dog also sees something. So you have validation that it's not just in your head. Yes. And more validation when you then find out that this has been a common occurrence. Yeah. But again, daylight, nothing bad happened. You don't feel like, you know, nothing was directed towards you.
1: Right. It was just the general area. Mm-hmm. Would you go swimming there in that third pool? No. Not not even the third one Oh, the, safe? Third,
0: the third one. Oh, sorry. I, I jumped into that. I was thinking of the first two and I was like, no, no, no.
1: Absolutely not. No. Maybe the
0: third one. Maybe yeah. I dip my toes in. Yeah. I mean, we did that like that, that little uh, waterfall in Hawaii, in Hawaii, where it's like at the, at the bottom of the falls, there's that pool and the water's really cold.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was so fun. The um hidden falls, hidden falls, yeah, hidden falls, yeah. I was thinking this actually the like the various pools you're talking about sliding in. I was thinking about when we used to take the kids camping at um oh my gosh, Lake Cuyamaca. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was that weird like mudslide thing. Do you oh remember yeah, that? it was like you would go down on like a garbage bag essentially, or or like if it was if the water was flowing enough you could just go down on your butt.
0: Oh, I, I forgot about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah.
1: But that, that's kind of like what I was envisioning, just so much bigger and, yes. you know, scary to a degree.
0: Uh, I'm glad I'm glad that we did that camping. Man, that is that is not a great campground. <laughs> not a great camp. Not co- compared to here. I know. Around here is absolutely terrible. Yeah. It was just like so hot. Oh, it
1: was so hot. And, and
0: then the scenery was not that great.
1: The fishing wasn't very good. The fishing good. was
0: terrible. But I
1: do have the cutest photos of like little baby Momo. She was five, six, seven mm-hmm. in those. I would say- 5 and 6 in those yeah. and she was like in that phase of like w- like little kid Coachella with like headbands across her uh-huh, head uh-huh. and like she had her dumpster fire hair with like her <laughs> braids but like a train wreck and she wouldn't yeah. to brush her hair uh-huh. but she's just like out on this dock with her little barbie fishing pole with you <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you know like the crazy uh, smile kids yeah
0: yep exactly oh, god so sweet so cute
1: so cute all right are you ready for a hatman tale i am this is a very interesting twist on the hatman okay okay I, I, this has been bothering me, so I'm so excited to hear what like your thoughts are as you okay. listen. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. Through the episodes, I keep hearing terrifying stories of the hat man. I had never heard of him. The stories were new and exciting, something different from the normal run-of-the-mill, and then I saw a ghost at the top of the stairs. <laughs> yeah. It dawned on me that I had seen a strange man in a hat a couple of years ago that I never understood and that he might have made an appearance earlier earlier in my life as well. My experience is brief, but I think about it often. I am in the school of thought that if logical explanations have all been exhausted, then there is room for something to be paranormal. Here in Maine, we have a saying, you can't get from there. You can't get there from here because there aren't many direct routes and there are minimal highways here. Therefore, I have to take back roads on my 40 minute drive to work. It's beautiful and it's scenic. The houses are set back further from the road and spaced apart. And, there's, and there actually is traffic because everyone also has to take the back roads. I was driving east as the sun was coming up on my drive to work. I saw the backlit silhouette of a man walking on my side of the road. And I thought to myself, that is so stupid to walk in the same direction of traffic with the sun shining so strongly. He was a normal, average-sized man. He looked to be wearing a dark clothing and dark wide-brim hat, and since he was backlit, I couldn't make out the details beyond a dark figure. He was walking on the edge of the road and couldn't move any further off the road because of a ditch. As the cars, about 20 to 30 yards ahead of me, neared him in the turn, my heart sank and I held my breath. Was I about to witness a pedestrian being hit? My hands tightened on the steering wheel, the cars sped through the churn, and the man was nowhere to be seen. The cars never hit their brakes. They didn't swerve into the other lane to avoid him. He just simply wasn't there anymore. And as I drove through the turn, I looked out the passenger window to double check that the ditch was empty. And it was. I saw the man in the hat several more times in the next couple of months. He was always outside in someone's yard or at the side of the road. And then one day, I just stopped seeing him. No explanation why. And it wasn't until I started to listen to these stories here that it made me pause. And now I worry about what I saw. And then I remembered another time. The hat man was a part of my life when he took my grandfather. My grandparents were married for 72 years. My grandpa was diagnosed with congenital heart failure and given only months to live. That was over a decade before he actually passed away. Throughout the years, we would have close calls and and he would be hospitalized and we would all prepare for his final days, but then he'd recover." My grandmother was very sweet. She was innocent, a happy person, and a much-needed balance to the gruff, stern, hard exterior of my grandpa, although he did soften quite a bit in his 80s. Grandma, unfortunately, suffered a massive heart attack at the age of 87 and then passed away several days later. Grandma passed in June, and that sent my grandfather to live with my parents. Three months after, my mom started hearing him talking to someone. She'd be in the kitchen making dinner and could hear him talking in the family, family room. She would find him sitting in his recliner talking and making hand gestures like he was in conversation with someone, but there was no one there. My mom was concerned he had suffered a stroke or maybe his heart condition was getting worse and he wasn't getting enough oxygen. She would frequently take his blood pressure and blood oxygen levels, but everything would indicate his health was okay. My mom heard him talking to himself again and finally asked, who are you talking to? He replied, the man in the hat gesturing like, duh, are you an idiot? He's clearly right here. My grandpa seemed annoyed that she would ask such an obvious question. My mom asked, what do you talk to the man about? And he said, nothing in particular. Life. She asked, okay, what kind of hat does he wear? What does he look like? My grandpa didn't answer. He would just sit there and shake his head. This went on for several months of him hearing talking to the man in the hat. And it was now December. Grandma had been gone for six months. Grandpa missed her. And it was in those moments you could see his softer side. The woman he loved for 72 years was gone. His health slowly started to deteriorate. He slept more and ate less. My mom let us know what was happening and that she didn't think he would make it till Christmas. As this was happening, his conversations with the hat man grew more frequent. My mom asked him the question. My mom heard him ask the question, well, where is she? To no one. Are you talking to the man in the hat again? She asked. Yes about what he took a moment as if he was trying to figure out the best way to say it gathering his thoughts he said she's here she's waiting for me but it's hard to get to her he said that we will go together go together where my mom feeling anxious and unsettled asked, who is she are you talking about mom is mom waiting for you is the man in the hat going to help you my mom pressed for answers but he was silent he scoffed with a dismissive gesture with his hands and said "Ah, you just wouldn't understand and he wouldn't talk about it anymore a couple nights later my grandpa passed away in his sleep my mom was there sitting in a chair beside him holding his hand it was peaceful she said he simply slipped away the way my mom explains what happened it sounded like the man in the hat was visiting grandpa to prepare him and help him pass over to whatever is in the great beyond that he would help him be reunited with my grandma that was 12 years ago. I've lived out of state. I lived out of state when all this happened and it all sounded comforting and hopeful until I heard the other kind of Hatman stories here. And now I don't know what to think. Is he the Grim Reaper? Is your perception of him different depending on whether or not you're ready to pass?
0: Oh, was that the end of the that, story there? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah, Grim Reaper. I kept thinking about that, you know, uh, as she was yeah. talking about, you know, visiting her her grandpa, and then I'm like, "Well, are there other, are there multiple entities? And then some are like the bad hat man, but but I get, did keep thinking that Grim Reaper. It's like if you see that, does that mean like maybe you're? I mean, there's plenty of people who have claimed to have seen it and then not died. So, but like, were they somehow like on the precipice and they didn't know it, and it could have gone either way, and this thing showed up? I, have, I don't know.
1: I have really unfortunate thoughts about this.
0: Yeah, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't my... know what to think about this uh visitor to his her grandpa.
1: I have never heard a Hatman story that wasn't terrible. Yeah, I, I, not, not before this one. Not that I can think of. And so yeah. unfortunately, my brain immediately went to, oh, there was a complete and utter trick. Like the Hatman came, helped deteriorate his health, wore him down, uh, was promising him something beautiful. She's waiting for you. She's here. It's a long journey. She's hard to get to. I'll help you. Yeek. And then it's just going to drag him to like a fucking hell or just, I don't know, Yikes. or like yeah. take his soul or just like, I have unfortunately went to a very dark, pessimistic place. And I'm very sorry. I, I hope that your grandfather is not in this place, but yeah, it was very hard for me to not think that.
0: That that, that take reminds me of that story we had a long time ago of like the black eyed children who kept visiting the nursing home. Oh,
1: yeah. And the
0: people kept dying in that same room over and over again. Yep. Um, but I didn't get to feel from that story. Like to,
1: I know I want to believe that, like maybe there, yeah. maybe the Hat Man, maybe we're scared of the Hat Man. Okay, let's take it a different direction. Maybe we are scared of the Hat Man because he does represent death. Like, maybe like he Reaper. is the Grim Reaper, and maybe when you see him, there is this like Eesh. part of you that notice. Yeah. Excuse me, that recognizes that some like just part of your soul, uh-huh. something inexplicable, and you register it. It registers as fear. Yeah. But but mostly, like, because you're young and you don't think it's your time. Like, this whole sort of, like, out-of-body experience of, like, it's not your time. Why would I die now? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And then he goes away. Because what? Because he scared you into living? Like, it somehow, like, right. deterred, changed your, your path. And then maybe when, like, she's saying, like, when you're older and it is your time and you feel more ready for death, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe it is more gentle. Maybe it doesn't have to be bad. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either.
1: Is, yeah, because is your perception of him different depending on if you are ready to pass mm, or not? Mm-hmm. It's a really valid question. Yeah. If anybody's got like a not scary hat man story, and I don't mean like not scary, like I confronted that mofo and I made him go away, but like a yeah. more gentle story, I would love to hear it because that would give me more pause.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that uh, her, the, 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 the grandpa talking to somebody who couldn't be seen there at the end did remind me a little bit of stories about my great-grandma Estelle where my grandma Betty says that, like in the last months of her life, she wouldn't stop talking about. Like she kept think- thinking that the ghosts of relatives of hers were showing up in her room at night, and I, and she uh, seemed very. Um, she didn't. She, you know before she passed, she ended up passing because she fell down, broke her hip, and then it went and then it went quick
1: because Jared pushed <laughs> her. Oh
0: my God, because yeah, cause my brother. We have life, a
1: very sick family joke about this. Yeah, he
0: just happened to be there, and I made that joke, and he <laughs> felt he did
1: not think it was funny. No, nah, he did
0: not think it was funny, but um. But, you know, like, she didn't seem mentally off at all prior to her, like, you know, ever, actually. Like, she Was she to-
1: scared of seeing them?
0: Uh, yeah, they were, like, uh, freaking out a little bit.
1: Yeah, I meant, um, I meant so.
0: And then, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but that, that, I'm like, I wonder how many stories there are that way of, like, people in their final, you know, months of life when they start to, to see things. And is it just, like, they're kind of a form of dementia or yeah. is it like their time is near and things are showing up the veils getting thinner.
1: I when my my mom's best friend my my aunt Dorothy when she passed, I mean she was so ill for so long. It was a yeah. really sad, long and she was so young. It was yeah. so brutal. But the day she died or the day before she died, you know, we were we would all we knew it was coming. We had a hospice yeah. and everything and I went and sat with her for so long. And I mean, in I'm so curious to know what it must be like on, she, she could no longer speak. So there was no communication, but she never seemed scared. And I wonder like if her relatives were showing up to her, like, how do you, do they, do they always show up? Right. Do do you, do you only know if someone is lucid enough to tell you, does someone always like come for you? But then if you can't speak, you can't share that. Like, Oh, look, it's my mom. Cause both her parents had both passed before her. Right? is that right yeah
0: yeah that makes me think when you said like you know do they always show up like uh that would suck for some like for some people who just aren't liked by their families
1: oh man or, or like or, or, nobody oh. come
0: nobody's like I don't wanna I don't want to come help them to the afterlife like I like I didn't want to see them <laughs> when I was alive there's like a sign out sheet and I'm it's dead.
1: like there's like a sign out sheet and it's like oh man
0: now nah, we're just gonna let Bob I, gotta,
1: I gotta go see Johnny I hated him All I'm right. not going nah. Fuck that
0: now nah, Johnny's on his own <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how some ghosts get stuck here in this world, uh, end up haunting places. Like no one came to lead them to the next place because they just were really like, just no one cared about them or <laughs> didn't how, like them.
1: How awful is it if your family member is some sadistic serial killer and then they're Ugh. the ones that show up for you at e. the end?
0: Ooh, like, yeah, that's a yeah, yeah. scary twist.
1: Like the the BTK killer is your uncle, Oof. and he's like, "All right, time to go." And is that why you're scared at the end? Like, right, right. Oh man. I've been I've been really um, like letting that piece of me be a little bit more open. Dan was out of town this last weekend. Yeah, you talk about the attic now? Yeah. So we've talked about this so many times on this show. So I don't, this is not me like making something out of nothing. It's just it's something continually reoccurring. And it, it, it ebbs and flows in our house. It comes and goes, but it you is. You
0: remind me tonight to peek up there.
1: I, I, I know. Yeah. Well, not tonight. Like we should probably go home after lunch and just have a peek in the middle of the day. <laughs> just it, <laughs> please.
0: <laughs> ha! Holy shit, Tyler. That was an uh, uh, unintentional, huge jump, <laughs> jump scare there.
1: I apologize, no, but no. I kind of liked it. <laughs> oh yeah, God, yeah. that was so great. That was so yeah. great. Oh my God. I'm sorry, what did you say before I screamed over you?
0: <laughs> please film it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I will. Okay. I will. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So Dan, uh, we had separate, uh trips this week and that's so funny
0: yeah, that was. i mean it got me a little bit I, i'm jumpy but like it really got you
1: because i was so deep in the thought of what yeah, i wanted yeah, yeah. to say and i don't want to ramble about this but the quick backstory if you don't know is that for as long as we've lived in our house i have which has been for several years now i have always our room is beneath kyler's room and i have always contested that i hear things in there whether or not he's home it's not just like that. If you live in a two-story yeah. house and your room is underneath someone else's room, or if you've ever lived in an apartment with someone above you, you know yeah. the sounds of like it's not even necessarily footsteps. You just hear movement, right? Right, right, right. Closet doors, dresser drawers, people, you know, whatever. People maybe
0: maybe some other movements if it's a teenage boy.
1: Stop. <laughs> You're so gross. We got a wiener on the brain today. My God. <laughs> um so. And, and initially I would think like, okay, well, it's just Kyler, but yeah. then it would happen when Kyler wasn't home when he was at his mom and his stepdads. So it just, I don't know, very strange. Then we had someone come to the house to cleanse the house. I was really, it was feeling very heavy, very oppressive. I felt like I couldn't get rid of it. I didn't know how to properly cleanse the house. That same person who had never been in my house before and didn't know which room was which kids or anything was in our basement, which it, directly under Kyler's room and was like, what's up there? Mm-hmm. I feel a strong male energy. I feel this. I feel that. There is the possibility that someone died in our house. We do know someone had a heart attack. We don't know if, and it was a male. We don't know if he died there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now it it has felt sometimes scary, and sometimes it's just felt scary because I don't know what it is. Do you you, yeah, you yeah, understand yeah. the difference yep, of what yep, I'm saying? Yep. Okay. Well, while Dan was gone, this Pat, I have never heard so many sounds up there. I heard loud thuds, but like singular. They would, they would be spaced apart by hours. I And then Dan was like, well, did you take a weed gummy? Like, did you wake up from a dream? And I thought the same thing. But then I would hear it in the wee hours of the morning. Like it was, let's say like four in the morning. Yeah. It wasn't three. Note that. It wasn't the witching yeah. hour. But like it was early. It was late enough into my sleep that the gummy had worn off. And I was very, I mean, I was on my phone. I was awake. I knew what was happening. And this wasn't, there were so many sounds. I was so freaked out. Then I went down a really dark rabbit hole of like, oh my God, we have like a Denver Spider-Man in our attic. (laughs) I knew, yeah. So I didn't, but we might actually just have a critter, but it felt so heavy. I did do a smoke cleanse. Mm. I resalted all the doorways. I got like really, I slept with so many lights on it. I think I slept with all the lights on in the house, locked our bedroom door, piled up things. Now the dogs never freaked out, which does give me some level of comfort. And Gigi sometimes will just randomly bark. So you kind of can't trust her anyway. She's a little bit not all there. (laughs) She's a special dog. Mm -hmm. But I just... Something is up. Something is up. But... And I'm also convinced that whatever it is, if there's not an animal up there, if there is something spiritual of the other world there... I am convinced that it knows that it like enjoys bothering me because it it rarely mm. happens that I hear that sound when when it's both of us it mostly happens when we're alone and then I do have to like try and be logical like okay is it does our house always make this sound right. and I just get more scared because yeah, I'm yeah, in the yeah. house alone so
0: you are I, nervous like yeah to be there alone
1: totally and so like I try to like think about it from all these angles it was just so different this time I truly felt like it was elevated and I will say that the way that our house is structured, mm-hmm. when you are sitting at the kitchen table, you have done the same thing late at night. You're like, I don't know, the energy from like up over there.
0: I know, I know. It's weird to oh, too. Many times
1: yeah, you've yeah, been like, I don't I know, know, it's strange. And I was working at the kitchen table and I was so freaked out that I went up and I closed all the bedroom doors. Yeah. But it's specifically from Kyler's room. It, it, is, it is not the guest room. Like it's not Monroe's room. Kyler's yeah. bedroom, you can't see any of the bedroom doors when you look up the The hall, the steps to the hall from the kitchen table. You can see the bathroom door, but yeah. not. And it is like the edge, the frame of his door, and I just feel like dark heaviness
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know.
1: I stood in his room for so long smoke cleansing. Like I was going so hard in there. I opened the window. I was and he, he,
0: and he never complains by the way. It is interesting. Like none of it ever seems to bother him. He's
1: the most atheist person. I have ever known in my life. Kyler believes in zero religion. He is not someone who likes to dig deep. Like, yeah, like, he's yeah, not like not just
0: religion, but like spirituality. So yeah, yep, says, all of it. Yeah, it's just um, what you see here, and that's it. Period.
1: Very scientific mind.
0: He might change. You might soften as he gets older. We'll see.
1: It, regardless, that's where he yeah. is right now. So yeah. I, I don't think that he would pick up on something.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: But I stood in that space, smoke cleansing, and like doing a lot of like, like you know, telling it to leave, yeah. whatever it was. But when I was in his room, full body chills. The moment I stepped out of his room, completely fucking fine. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's weird. Lindsay, you're imagining that. And I went in and out several times yeah. and every time full body chills. And again, I don't know if it's scary because I, I'm picking up on something and I don't understand it and mm-hmm. I am scared by that. Or if I don't like it because it is dark. I I don't know. I don't know.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't or,
1: or there's rats in the ceiling. I don't know. <laughs> I actually would love it if there was just like a dead I, raccoon up there. I would feel so much better.
0: Yeah, I, I would. I would. I think I would rather. I don't know if we have a lot of rats around here. I would. I would rather have a ghost than a rat infestation. Not a big fan of rats.
1: Okay, well, Jeff and Liz have a mouse problem right now. I am not mice. Okay. Well, maybe it's a mouse. You're right. We don't really have rats here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure we do, but I don't know. So that's the update in our world, you guys. I don't know. I know you guys are going to be like, okay, we've heard this story before, but it's like I. I
0: know I have, we have to peek. We have to peek. So, yeah, before before we go to bed tonight.
1: This I know, afternoon. I know I know, dude. I know. I know. I know.
0: I got work to do, but yes, this afternoon. It'll
1: take fifteen minutes.
0: Okay. Okay. Oh,
1: oh, that was the other detail. Wait, let me just tell this one yeah. other detail. I'm so sorry. So, the our attic it doesn't have like a door. You know, it's just a traditional crawl space. It's just the the pitch of the roof, and there is you know a square access point. And the only time I know of that someone's ever gone up there is when we had the house inspected before we bought it, mm-hmm. and maybe. One other time, but not us. Like like, yeah. it was like somebody else, a, a worker. Uh, okay. So we had the house painted not that many years ago, like two or three years ago. And I, in my mind, I felt like I remembered it being painted shut. I don't think that since the house has been fully interior, the full interior has been painted, that anyone has gone up there.
0: I think so, actually. Who? Uh, Sonos. When we had the little ceiling speakers, they might have uh, accessed the crawl space up there. But Why? To possibly lay down some cables, but it wouldn't be in the right area.
1: Exactly.
0: I'm not sure if they did or not because it wasn't well, okay, in that area. Okay,
1: but this access point, in my mind, and I could be wrong, but yeah. in my mind, my recollection is that it's been painted shut forever. Okay,
0: it, for it might have been
1: three years. Yeah. So when I got up the next day after this like horrific night of sleep, I was like, "Okay, Lindsay, you are being such a baby. It's painted shut. There's no one living up there. No yeah. one could get up there." Blah 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 blah. So I got a a, a broom. And I went and I pushed on it and it fucking opened so easily that I was like, oh Uh -oh. my God. But I did calm myself that no one could be living up there because I set the alarm every night. And unless they know our alarm code, there's no opening any exterior Mm -hmm. doors without the alarm going off. (sighs) That's what's happening. I'm not sleeping.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay. So are you ready to do some Annabelle shout outs? Yes.
1: Thanks for letting me chat about that.
0: Yeah. You want to go first or do you want me to go first? Go ahead, you go first. Uh, I want to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us here on Patreon: Payden Cruz Beck, Courtney and BJ, Travis Brunger, Paige Smith, Chelsea Wilson, Berkeley Trumbly, Larisa Harrow, Ernest Morris, Brittany Guidros, and Alex. I don't know if it's Calk or it could be
1: Cock. I'm going to go Calk.
0: I'm going to go Cock.
1: Of course, you are. You're in a Cock kind of mood today. Okay. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for helping me process what might be in my attic. Hunter Witt, Ruth Ann Reed, Christina Sissoni, or Sissone, C-I. Ah!
0: Sorry. I just wanted to get one more reaction out of you today. <laughs> okay.
1: C-I-C-C-O-N-E. Sassone? Sissoni.
0: C-I-What was he in?
1: C-I-C-C-O-N-E. Sisoni, yeah. Sisoni, yeah. okay. Well, Christina Sisoni. Yeah. Oh, Sisoni. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Brendan Love, Heather Landy, Monica Crispell, Jordan Calkins, Lords Grandos, and uh, Jade Biondo, and Emily. No last name. Well, thank you. And then I have a few spooby shout if I may. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to give the following spoopy shout outs of some good ones this week. To Snuggles from your loud mouth wife Cat. Happy <laughs> Happy day of birth to my skeptic ass hat husband. I absolutely <laughs> abso hope you have a great Steak and BJ kind of birthday.
0: Nice.
1: <laughs> I love it. I think we'd be friends Cat. To Eddie D from your dad Sims. Happy birthday. I love you and I cannot and you cannot prove that you love me more because I'm your dad and I said so. So there. Uh, to Katie from Kayla. This is crazy. Happy birthday to the strongest person I know. You are such an inspiration. Keep that smile on your face. Katie contracted a fucking flesh-eating bacteria. Oh, my God. Had to have her leg amputated. <gasps> and then the weekend that she was supposed to come to the Philly show, her uh, retina detached. Is she like, okay now? I mean, as okay as one can yeah. be when you're Oof. dealing with the aftermath of a flesh-eating bacteria? Man, man. Like, what the fuck? Uh, to Jen from Lindsay congrats on your new home I hope it's not haunted and there isn't anyone living in your attic. Boom. I hope that for you too. To Brittany from Frankie, uh, happy 21st anniversary. I'm going to give a little shout out to Robert Dinkle. He's been providing a lot of interesting emails in my inbox. People are obsessed with that as much as I was. Mm. Thank you for all the information you've been sending. There are several Robert Dinkles. I'm going to go through the evidence and see what we can come up with and we'll (laughs) discuss in the bonus episode.
0: Okay, sounds good. Pretty fun. Uh, That is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at Scared to Death Podcast.com. you can email us for everything else info at scared to death podcast.com. thanks to logan keith tyler c for the work on social media with ryan Handelsman and logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. thanks to tyler for producing and directing today zach cohen for custom soundbed creation heather rylander for organizing the my story emails and to our book editor drew atana for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number four thank you to producer olivia lee for finding the first story i told this week and sarah finch for finding the second you can subscribe to bad magic productions on youtube if you want to watch follow us on facebook and instagram if you want more content pictures of the company shows at scared to death podcast also at scared to death podcast for tiktok where there's show highlights and if you don't want to hear any ads if you want monthly bonus episodes check out our patreon get the entire catalog ad free and so much more enjoy your nightmares creeps and peepers hope you were scared to death
1: i want to scare you bye
0: Hey. Just okay. it, please. <laughs> ha! Holy shit, Tyler. That was an uh, uh, unintentional, huge <laughs> jump, jump uh, scare there. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, Empathy is our best policy. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
1: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for
0: help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. Text or chat 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel.